I'm going to preach to you today about a topic called Remember Me. You know, when I think about Remember Me and I think about remembrance, I go back like you. I know when, um, when we were here to testimony and Isaac, did he preach on that testimony or what, man? It's anointed. I mean, when you're, when you're giving up for dead a couple times in the hospital and now you're up here just living and serving God and just a couple months later, you'd be praising him too. But I think about, you know, as he mentioned his mother, you know, and it was a, a really a, a tough thing when my mom went to be with the Lord years ago, about 12 years ago. And it took me a few years to kind of get over it. She was my mother and father. My father passed away when I was three months old. And so it was a big deal. And it just brought back a lot of memories to me, thinking about how much she loved me. And I'll never forget, I was having a real tough time with it. Here I do, I spoke and did her funeral, myself, my other brother, and all that. And we were away on a little vacation, Steph and I and the boys. And man, I was sitting, we were on a boat and I was up on the top and I was just sitting up there just angry and frustrated and didn't understand why. I prayed for so many people to be healed of cancer, they were healed, but my mom wasn't. I prayed for people with heart disease. They were healed, but my mom wasn't. I prayed for people with kidney failure and blood disease, and they were healed, and my mom wasn't. And I was really wrestling with that. And then Steph come up and said, I got a call for you. I said, I don't want to talk to anybody. She said, no, I got a call. You need to take this. And it was a man of God that I know and a prophet. And he said, I, I have a word of why your mom went to heaven. And I said, okay. And he said, she chose to go to heaven so that God could take you in the next realm of the grace he has on your life because when you think of total grace, you think of her more so than God. You feel safer with her. You, you feel safer with her and the grace on her life that she gives to you, the love that she gives you. And by her going to heaven, she's releasing now you an opportunity to truly know God as a God of grace and unconditional love. And I mean, I just sat there and weeped because I was, mom was 76 when she went home to be the Lord, but it doesn't matter if she's 1,006. You know, when mama goes, everybody knows, right? But as I thought about that and I thought about the power of God's grace, it's more than God's unmerited favor. That's great. But grace is who Jesus Christ is. Romans 5 says that the first Adam came, right? And he blew it. Adam and Eve, and we'll talk about that. But when the second Adam, Jesus Christ, came, what? To do away with the law, to do away the works, to bring grace. He is grace that we might be saved. And today, I'm going to preach about remember me. And I know many of you in here, you got memories. I remember before I came to Christ, and I remember what I was going through, and I might talk about that. And I know many of you do, but there's many of you that in here today, and you have memories because you used to serve Christ. You used to walk close with him. You used to have an intimate relationship with him. And now you're so far away. You just, if you died today, you don't even know if you'd make it to heaven. Or if you did, you'd almost be embarrassed. Then there's some in here today, and under the sound of my voice, you've never accepted Christ. You've never had him as Lord and Savior. And you've wondered about it, but you're trying to figure out, what do I got to do to get ready? How good do I have to be? How many rules do I, I don't can't follow all those rules. Well, today we're going to, release some of those so that you can be open to receive Jesus. We, our, our mission statement, as Pastor Mark said, is the biggest part of it is belong. What does that mean? You're loved just as you are, not as you or anyone else thinks you should be. You're loved and accepted just as you are. Believe in Jesus and his word. Become who God designed you to be. Build his kingdom 
make a difference every day in every way. And, and, and that's what we live by. That's our code of conduct. That's our life. And we look first to love, not to judge. Now, God's judgment is true and it's real, but we live in a time of grace right now, a dispensation, the Bible says, of grace. And that came when Jesus gave his life in remembrance of us and took our sin and sorrow and disease on him and rose from the dead. That grace only lasts until Jesus comes in his, his second coming. At that point, billions of people will be on this planet not knowing God, and a billion or two more will be with God going up in the air. I hope you either, if you pass away before then, you're up there with him, or you're on your way when he comes down. Anybody believe that this morning? My text is very short as far as the sermon today. I'm going to read a couple of verses out of beginning in, uh, beginning in Luke's gospel, the 23rd chapter, beginning in verse 42. Then he, who the thief is on the cross, then he said to Jesus, remember me. When you come into your kingdom, and Jesus said, Assuredly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. Now, there's a lot packed in that. The entire gospel of Jesus Christ is packed in those two verses. And what I want you to get today, no matter where you're at in your walk, where you've been or where you even think you might end up at, I want you to realize that his gospel is the same, it is true, and it is sure. And it works every time. As we begin to unpack that and think about this thief, this murderer, this robber, this rapist is asking Jesus the most impossible question that we could ever imagine. I mean, who, who would have the nerve to ask Jesus that anyway, but especially in those circumstances? Now, as we think about this, when we think about the cross, we think about the, uh, when Christ was crucified, it's really the greatest historical event of all time other than when he came out of that tomb, right? And it is amazing when we think about that. And as we do, here we are, we find Jesus on the cross. And when he's on the cross with this, these two thieves in the middle of them, and he takes his last breath, the lightning crashes, the thunder crashes, the lightning lights up the sky, the earth shakes, or on the skull of Golgotha, the mountain's called, it's nothing but a huge rock cliff with caves and graves carved out, carved out in it, and here he is, the whole earth is shaken, the sky actually turns red for a while, and in the temple where the Messiah, when he comes, the veil is supposed to be ripped, it's rendered from top to bottom over 30 feet long, and everyone is shaking because they'd never heard a gun go off, they never heard a cannon go off, they never heard an automobile backfire and all of a sudden the sound from heaven and everything shifted from sneering and laughing and joking and watching someone else suffer instead of themselves and now they're in basic shock maybe this is the son of God the same people that made fun of him and sneered and jeered whenever they arrested him and they beat him the soldiers beat him two or three times before they threw him out in the street and started dragging him down the street the Bible says his body was marred so bad because they took the whips, the cats of nine tails, which were not only long, but they had bones and rock, little bones and things that were sharp objects in the end like tails, and it would whip around. So it wasn't just that Jesus' back was emaciated. The whip would, was so long that it would wrap multiple times around his body, and they would spin him and pull him back, and it would rip every time the flesh off whatever it grabbed. The Bible said that he was so marred, he didn't even look like a human being, let alone who he was. 
And he's struggling along. And not only that, they had the two thieves, murderers with him who were going to be crucified. The one we spoke of earlier there as well. And as they're going through the street and people were making fun and throwing and spitting and saying stuff to him, Jesus finally collapsed. And when he did, the centurions forced an African man named Simon to come forth and to carry his cross. What an honor that was. Simon realized later what an honor it was. At that time, he was just trying to secure his own life. When he get there and they put Jesus up in the air, so soldiers are doing their job as they always do, because you didn't crucify a Roman citizen or an elite. You only crucified the slaves or the enemy, people that you really wanted to make an example of and just leave them hanging there. And as they dropped the cross in the ground, they lifted them up. Before they lifted them up, they took these huge spikes and they drove a spike in each of Jesus' wrists and put his feet together and drove a spike. They did the same to the other thieves and murderers. When they did it to Jesus, it was unique. There was no sound. When the other two started receiving the spikes in their hands, their feet, they screamed, they cried, they shouted like you and I would do, right? But Jesus didn't make a sound. Why did he not make a sound? He didn't make a sound because he wanted us to know that he came for us, that, he, that God remembered us and that he remembered us. And once they had him hanging there on the cross, totally naked, see everything, and his flesh ripped apart. You couldn't recognize him as a man or barely a human being. They did their tradition, the soldiers did. They stuck a spear in his side. And then what they do, they went over and they made a concoction of a drug-like thing of wine with other herbs and things that are supposed to sedate people so they'll live a little longer, I guess. They gave it to each of the thieves. They gladly took it. They offered it to Jesus and he wouldn't receive it. You say, well, why wouldn't he receive a sedative, something to inoculate the pain? The reason he didn't, the Bible says, is because he wanted us to know that he remembered us and that he wanted to feel all of our sin, all of our disgrace, all of our suffering, all of our pain, all of our sorrow, all of our regrets. He wanted to take it all at that very same time on himself so that he would know that we would be remembered and there wouldn't be one pain, one heartache, one broken heart, one messed up mind or messed up body that would never, ever be remembered by God. Man, as we think about that, it really, it just breaks my heart thinking about the price he paid for you and I. You know, it doesn't feel like we deserve it, but God makes it so clear and so plain that he, it, we do deserve it because he made it all about you and I today. I think about Paul, the great intellectual, one of the greatest minds that was ever born on this planet. The apostle Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. He was on his way traveling to Corinth, the port city where the courts and the Romans held court, all their big stuff there in Ephesus, and all the big ships came in from around the world. It was Mecca. It was the educational center, the religious center, but mainly all the corrupt things that come with shipping and money and wealth. And as Paul was going in, he made this statement in one scripture. He said, I'm determined to know nothing among you, talking about the people, except Christ and him crucified. I'm determined. I'm going in here. I'm going to see they're going to be, he's going, he preached right in front of a cave where they sacrifice babies every day. 
to a sex goddess named Diana. He was in all this witchcraft and knowing that they wanted to take his life, but he said, my only go is what? I'm not going to accept or think anything that's going on here. I'm coming here because I'm focused on nothing except Christ and him crucified because that's where the power is. That's where the strength is. That's where, the, that, that's where our grace is. That's where our freedom is. You know why? Because what would happen if he didn't hang on that cross? What would happen if he didn't go up there for you and I? We would have no way to be forgiven of sin. We would have no way to inherit the kingdom of God. We would have no way to live in grace, live in unconditional love, love with no rules or boundaries. We would have no way to live in total healing and victory in in our lives if Jesus didn't remember us and was willing to hang on the cross and take our mistakes, our sins, our guilt, our fears. As I think about that, it just blows me away what a God we serve. You say, well, why was he hanging there anyway? It all goes back to the first man, Adam, and his wife, Eve. God set them up in the Garden of Eden. He set them up in his glory. They had everything. All they had to do was just, they didn't have to plant food or work, name the animals, enjoy it, walk in the cool of the day with God. But he wanted them to advance outside the garden and begin to open up more territory and grow families and so on. Somewhere along the way, he only told them one thing in chapter two not to do. Chapter three, what was it? Don't eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. At this point, they knew no sin. At this point, they had no knowledge of death or sin or fear or addiction, any of this stuff. But whenever they betrayed God and they partook of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, it opened their heart. And at that point, what happened? They saw the evil just as Satan had planned for them to see. And at that point, God said, well, that put enemy between God and man. And he said that what? He said that from that point on, man will toil the earth and women will give childbirth in pain. But the most important thing, he said, but you will be born dead. Your spirit, who you really are, the God-like child that he originally made you in, will, not, will be in a state of death. You see, Paul talks about it in 1 Thessalonians 5. He says what? He said, I pray for your W-H-O-L-E, your whole body, soul, and spirit. You and I are spirits, the Bible says, ask God. But that spirit is not alive until you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and accept him as risen and on the right hand of the Father. And when you accept that, what happens? Your spirit, who you really are, is alive. That's why the Bible says that you're only appointed but one time for man to die. What's it talking about? We're appointed because of Adam and Eve and their sin. They had to end up in death spiritually as well. Every one of us is going to be born like the image and likeness of God. It's in Genesis 1 and 2. Now what? We're born in the image of our parents, Adam and Eve, and that's an image of death and separation from God. The easiest way to define death is to be separated from God for eternity. Eternity forever and ever and ever. The Bible says a day is just a thousand years and a thousand years is a day. You can blink and that's a thousand years with God. But to us, it's a long, long time. We think we have a long time on this planet. We think we have all the days ahead of us and all the years ahead of us, but just Go on and Google today how many passed away in Nicholasville this week. How many passed away last night? How many passed away in Lexington yesterday? Or maybe even this morning before you came to church. And you'll see we as humans so often think we got a lot of time when actually the Bible says to be absent from your body is to be present with the Lord. 
And none of us know. We have faith. We believe. But none of us know when our time will be. And as I think about that, and I think about the price that Jesus paid for us because of the rebellion of Adam and Eve, then as we began to look, because they broke the law of God. And what I want you to realize is that whenever God set up the law, it was to show the people how we should be, knowing they couldn't handle it until grace came, Jesus. So as we see Jesus now up on the cross, the people are making fun of him. They're laughing at him. They're making jokes. They're throwing stuff at him. They're spitting at him and all these things. And what, all that's going on around him, the two that were the worst instigators was one on the left and one on the right, the murderers and the thief that he was hanging between. He's hanging between these murderers and thieves, rapists, murders, all this stuff. And he's just hanging there. And as he's hanging there, he, see, he says to, you know, John, take care of Mary, my mother. And he began to give instruction. And then finally he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And about that moment, one of the thieves, murderers, became silent. He stopped laughing. He stopped jeering and sneering. He stopped joking. One might have thought he was dead, but his eyes were wide open. And he turned to Jesus. And he said, Father, remember me when you come into your kingdom. What? You murdering, lying thief? And, and remember me when you come into your kingdom? What, what kind of audacity? What, what kind of pride? What, what kind of lack of fear or reverence or respect could a murdering thief being crucified by the son of the living God say, remember me? What? Remember the rapes? Remember the murders? Remember killing the old merchant and taking his gold? What should we remember about you? You know, there's a lot of things in my life I don't even want to remember. Especially pre-Jesus. And there's even things since that I don't want to remember. And as I think about that, what Jesus could have said, well, sorry for your luck, dude, but this is not your day. But he didn't. What did he say? He said, surely, surely I say to you today, everybody say today, you will be with me. Who? Me, Jesus, where? In paradise. Think about that. He had the audacity. He, he wasn't looking for God to do anything for him. He just felt conviction. Why would he feel conviction? Maybe when he heard Jesus speak to John to take care of his mother. Maybe when he said, you know, forgive of these people that are doing this to me. They don't know what they're doing. I don't know, but somewhere along the way, Holy Spirit touched that man's heart. One man is over here jeering, and he's probably saying, what's wrong with you, man? You're a murderer like me. You're a rapist like me. You're trying to go preacher boy now? You're going to be a preacher boy? You hanging out with a preacher over here now? I imagine he had a lot of things to say to his buddy on the other side, his cohort. But what's interesting, this is the only place in the Bible, Old Testament or New Testament, that I can find deathbed repentance. You know what deathbed repentance is? That means before you take your last breath, you receive Jesus as Lord. You know, pastoring now 30-some years, been in ministry, been preaching 37, 38 years, been a pastor 33 years or something like that. I've been at a lot of deathbed experiences. 
I've been in thousands. I mean, I went in Columbus. The church was 12,000 people a week attending, and I was right under Pastor Rod. I was at least one or two deathbed calls I got a week, and that wasn't counting how many others there were. Since being here, many of those for the last 23 years. And when I go into that situation and the families are saved, but that loved one is not, a son, a daughter, a mom, a dad, a sibling, a brother, whatever, they don't say, well, you know, lay hands on him and heal him. Oh, just, you know, see if you can get his head on for him. They say, please, we've been praying. Could you just make sure he gets right with God? We want to see him in heaven. We want to see her in heaven. And when I go into that situation and I look around the room and I see the person I'm going to minister to when they're coherent and I can speak to them, Travis, when I can talk to them, they see me, the preacher, and they feel guilt and they feel shame and they don't want to look me in the eye and they're like, what's, what's this? Bring her preacher up here. That's all I need right now. And I just love on them and I begin to speak to them. I say, do you know Christ? No, they know I don't know Christ. I mean, why not? I don't want to be a hypocrite, that's why. Well, why would you be a hypocrite? I can't live the life you all live. I, I can't stop doing this and stop doing that and start doing this. That's just not who I am. No, that's not really is, is it? You're afraid. What do you mean I'm afraid? You're afraid because you know you're going to heaven or hell. It's your choice. And then they start weeping. And they start, you're right. I say, would you want to give your life to Christ today? And they do want to, but they don't have the faith because they're like, why would Christ accept me? I've lived 40 years, 20 years, 70 years without him, denying him, laughing at people like you. Why would he care about me? I say, because he remembered you when he was hanging on the cross, suffering for your sin, bleeding for the stripes that you should have, the torment that you will face in hell for eternity. He took on Calvary for you. The Bible says in the Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, that he endured the suffering of the cross for the joy that was set before him. And I said, you know who his joy is? You're his joy. I'm his joy. The Bible says it rains on the just and the unjust. The Bible says he blesses us, the just or the unjust. God is no respecter of persons. Jesus Christ remembered every one of you, me, everyone before us, everyone that would come after us, whether they made fun of him, they cursed him, or they loved him, and they served him. He remembered all, and he paid the price for everyone's sin, everyone's pain, everyone's failure and hurt. He paid the price for it all. Then I say, hey, you know, it looks like you feel you're going to get, no, I know I'm not going to get out of here. Okay. So let, let me tell you about this guy in the Bible that he might have been a little worse than you. Sure, whatever. Thinks I'm going to take to one of the big apostles. I take him to the murdering, lying thief, hanging on the cross with the Son of God. And I say, look what Jesus said about him. Today you will be, surely you will be in paradise or heaven with me. I said, what do you think about that? No, tears come out. I don't, I don't preach. I don't know. Good for him, I guess. I don't know. Now I'll show him where a scripture where it says God is no respecter of persons. What about that? Well, yeah, okay. Okay. 
But, but why would he want to remember me? Why, why would he care about me? Because his father so loved the world that he gave his son to be a propitiation, to be a sacrifice for yours and my sin so that we could come home to God and we could be in relationship with Jesus. And every time, I, I, I have never prayed for him. I don't care if they're 80 years old and we're never a Christian. Most times I don't have to do that. Occasionally I did. Most times they just need to know God loves them and they can come. But here's what's interesting. That man wasn't baptized, was he? That man didn't go to church every week, you know, for 20 years to get to heaven. That, that man didn't, didn't even usher. Didn't take care of the babies. Didn't send the preacher gifts, but you can always do that. Didn't, didn't do anything good for anybody else but himself. The remembrance that everybody had of him was a lying thief, murder. None of that. He did nothing for God or for anyone else but God. Accepted him as a lying, murdering thief running out of time to take his last breath. And he said, today you can come home with me. Now, I could tell you stories, and some of you, I'll tell, you know, I'll tell it a lot, what I did, what I was about, how I still mess up sometimes. God remembered him. Jesus set an example that he is out to win everybody back to God. And what I want you to realize is I'm no different than that man in many ways because I sin. I sin daily somewhere or another. I'm not perfect. I know you're lying to yourself. That's pride. You're sinning right now. I'm not the best at the world obeying the speed limits and the driving laws of this land. Sometimes I get a little upset. Or sometimes I might get upset at this or that. And I have to repent. I don't repent because I'm in fear of going to hell. I repent because I don't want to hurt Jesus because I'm like, Lord, you've done so much for me. If not for you, I'd already be dead. So no one's perfect, including this man. Some of you are here today and you're thinking, man, I may want to give my life to Christ. I didn't expect that. I was coming because my family wanted me here. Or I was coming because grandma, you know, she's in heaven and always said, go to church on Sunday, you know, Easter and Christmas. So I'm here. I, I just came to be a spectator. I did, and now I feel maybe what this murdering lion thief felt on the cross. I feel my heart beat. And I think about, where am I going to be? it stops when I take my last breath where will I be you say preacher are you trying to scare me honey if I scare hell out of you I'd done it before you pulled on the parking lot I, I ain't too proud to tell you that if that's the way to get people to heaven I'd do it all day long but all I can do is tell you what the gospel says the gospel says if we repent we can be saved and we can be remembered and we can go to heaven. He said, Lord, remember me. And so we get ready to wrap up here. The most, to me, the greatest word in all of our vocabulary has to be forgiveness. Forgiveness. That God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Right? In other words, I'm going to let my son pay the price. And he's willing to pay the price so you could be forgiven. 
What an example God is to us. Here he is on this deathbed experience. Some of you, you're not necessarily on your deathbed, but you don't really know what lies for the rest of the day or tomorrow or next week. You may be trying to get yourself ready like I was at one time for months and sometimes years and I could never get myself ready. You know why? Because I'm no better than that lying, murdering thief on that closet, on that cross. Why, why, why could he come to Christ and not be ready? When I tried to get ready and get off drugs and partying and all that stuff, man, I'd just mess up the next day. Then I'd try, I was trying to get myself ready because I didn't want to go to hell. I was trying to get myself ready because I was so miserable. You know my story. Many of you have partied out three colleges, two colleges and total three cars before I was 21. And I'm sitting at a housing development, actually Warfield, Kentucky. They just built this big low-income housing development. And my birthday is New Year's Day, January 1st. 20 years old, I'm getting ready to turn 21. Sitting there, I don't know, a hundred or more people just in that little quadrant, just blowing, partying. I don't know, maybe two, I don't know. But I was in this one particular little duplex, and about three or four in the morning, sitting across from a guy. Kind of looked like Jesus, actually. He had the his back. He had the long beard and hair and all that. But I knew him since I was a kid. He had lost his family, got addicted, lost his family, lost everything. Was a preacher at one time. Was a backslidden Church of Christ preacher in his early forties. I'm sitting there. Bottles and blow and everything else on that table. I don't even know what we were doing. I was at that time, I was pretty well gone. He said, hey, Dalton. So what? So you want to be like me? I thought, heck no, I don't want to be like you. So I said explicitive to him. <laughs> he said, no, you don't want to be like me. Because he said, you know what? There's another man sleeping with my wife and gets to kiss my children every morning and take them to school. And they won't even look my way. You want to be like me? No, I don't want to be like you. Yeah, I can't quit this stuff. You're young enough, you can. You want to be like me? Your family hates you. You steal, you lie, you do all this stuff. You don't want to. You have to to make it. Do you want to be? I said, no, I don't want to be like you. And I don't know how long he started preaching to me. I don't know if it's like 30 minutes or three hours. I don't know. I just sat there blown away and got sober real quick as this man preached the gospel to me about heaven and hell. Say, how could a backslidden preacher preach? Well, what's his name? Did it in Nineveh, didn't he? <laughs> the gifts of God are without repentance. If you're a preacher, if you can sing under the anointing, you can sing. If you can preach, you can preach. If you can teach, you can. And he's using his gift. I was so convicted when I crawled home that day, got home. I don't know how I got home. It's 12 miles where I lived or 15. And my little mama's Sunday morning knocks on the door. Uh, son, you going to go to church? Because I'd already blew everything, was back home with mom, poor mom. And I, and I was so sick, I hadn't been in bed an hour. I was still shaking. I said, Mom, I, I swear to God, I'll come tonight. Do you have a night, sir? Yeah. I said, okay. I said, okay, honey. Wasn't the first time I told her that. But that night at 6 o'clock, church started in Inez Nazarene in Inez, Kentucky. Great pastor, Pastor Art Hobbs, was preaching that night. 17 adults in the sanctuary. Old brown, old tan floors with a lime green carpet runner that matched the lime green pew on that old wooden pew and matched the kneeling bench. I don't know what Brother Art preached or taught. I can't remember. All I know is, like, I love you, but please shut up. I got to get saved. I love you, but stop. Don't sing a song. Just stop. I'm ready to tear the pew down. And then when he gave the altar call, then I was almost afraid to come. And I looked at mom and said, you think I should go? Yeah. <laughs> 
And I gave my heart to the Lord that night. I was baptized in a creek with my baby sister, nine years younger than me. INS Creek. Y'all know, so y'all know where Mooney's Bait Shop used to be, right back by their old bridge over there. And in the cold water, I felt so warm. I never felt, I was cold before I got in that. When I got in that water, I bet you could feel heat come off of me. And I cried and laughed when the mamas and all of them were over there singing down by the riverside. Man, that was the most beautiful day. I've never had a day better. It's been close with my boys being born or married to my wife, but something about the taste of God that makes everything better. And to think he remembered the little Dalton boy that everybody thought he'd be dead before he was 21. To think that even now, sometimes look at me and say, I still can't believe you're alive, Dalton. <laughs> saved, but I can't believe you're alive, let alone saved. But God. But God remembered me. Every head bowed and every eye closed. There's not one person under the sound of my voice this morning that God does not remember Bible says in Mark's, Matthew's gospel that he not only knows you, he knows the number of hairs on your head. And for some of us, that's a miracle. Hebrews 4 said he not only knows you and your heart, he knows the very intentions thereof. He remembers everything about you because he created you. He remembers everything about you because he made you. The only thing that God can forget is sin. He doesn't forget how to make it rain. He doesn't forget how to hold the universe together in his hands. The Bible says he holds the universe together in his hands. He doesn't forget how to make the sun shine. He doesn't forget how to make it rain because if the sun didn't shine, it didn't rain, we would become a glacier and disintegrate eventually. But there's one thing, only one thing God can forget. And in Jeremiah, the book of Jeremiah, it says that he will remember our sins no more. In the book of Hebrews, it says he, God, can remember your sins no more. Isaiah 43 says your sins are blotted out. Psalm 103 says your sins are put away. Isaiah 38 says, your sins are put behind his back. In other words, Satan might try to see you, but when you're a child of God, you're behind the back of God. He can only see God. He cannot touch you. You're God's child. Jesus bore our sin. He paid a price because he was committed to us before we ever were open to him. And here in a moment, I'm gonna ask you to do something that I've had people do preaching in Israel and Norway and Ukraine and Sweden and other nations. I've had people do it preaching yearly in different places in California and San Francisco and all the way through Ohio, Kentucky and down in Florida, preaching all over. And I've seen people in person be remembered by God. I've seen people in person have a deathbed experience in church. How about it like this? Would you rather have a deathbed experience here right now? or at the real time, if you even get that opportunity. I want to ask you right now, I'm going to count to three, and you that say, I want Jesus. 
You might say, well, I, I would, preacher, but my family's not here, or I'm not with my family, or, you know, what would my boyfriend or girlfriend think, or what would my spouse, who cares? You know what? That murdering lying thief didn't care what his buddy thought because he saw what that got him. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Tomorrow's promise to no person. I'm going to ask you on a count of three. If you say, you know what, preacher, maybe you're far away from God, you need to come home, or maybe you've never known him. You say, I want to taste God. I want to taste his love. I want to taste his grace. I want to taste his faith. I want to taste his peace. I want this to be my day, my moment, my hour of salvation. If that's you on a count of three, I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm going to pray for you right there. This is your time. This is your opportunity. You need to do this for yourself. Hands are already going up, but I'm going to ask, I'm going to count to three. One, two, three. Raise your hand high. Keep them up. Keep them up. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Thank you, ma'am. Keep them up. Thank you, sir. Thank you, ma'am. There's others. There's others. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. You that have your hands up, I'm going to ask you to do something. But before I do, I'm going to give these other people an opportunity because... What if this is your last hour, your last moment? What if this is the only time you're back in church or whatever? When these people stand up, feel free to stand up. Because I want you to not miss God remembering you just the way you are. Just like this guy. He couldn't get ready. He couldn't fix it up. Hands are still going up. He couldn't, he couldn't get baptized or anything, but he went to heaven. This is your day. On the count of three, stand up. I want to pray for you right now. One, two, three. Stand. Quick, 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 quick. Quick, 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 quick. Come on. Give God a shout. 